with Ms. Sharothi Picard. My name is Bonnie Evangelista. I'm with the Chief Digital and Artificial Intelligence Office. Sharothi, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, give us a quick 60-second rundown, who you are, what's your role, and what's your background. Okay. So my name is Sharothi Picard. I'm the Deputy CDO for Acquisition at CDAO, the same office. AKA my boss, which is why this is a little funny. Uh. Um, and uh, a little bit of my background, I actually, uh, I call myself a former engineer. So I started out in the Army about 22 years ago as an Army civilian, as a computer engineer. Mm -hmm. uh, and my specialty was in network engineering. So I uh, ended up spending the first uh, few years building communication systems. Uh, and I was just very, very fortunate because I happened to start right when Army was entering the digital transformation uh, period for itself. Uh, uh, and it also happened to be right before we, uh, you know, went into the war with uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. So uh -huh. it was a very much a forcing function in terms of taking your capabilities, making it operational. At the same time, as we're bringing in new technologies and new capabilities, making sure that you are able to continue to build on those legacy systems, make them interoperable. So I just spent, I would say, my the first decade of my career just very just, quickly going through the entire acquisition life cycle, fielding those prototypes, rebuilding them, redesigning them, resetting them. As an engineer, right? As an engineer to program management, Got right? It. So I spent that, I started out as an engineer, quickly went into program management, raised my hand saying, ah, I think I'll try that out and see how that goes. Okay. Uh, and the rest kind of became history. But then I went... Um, Served as a chief engineer for my organization for about a year, realized that was not my thing. Uh, went back to uh, running the tactical radio organization uh, and then coming to ASALT, the Army's Acquisition Executive Office, for a couple of years. Um, and that was a great experience. Uh, so I was at Fort Mamet, but I came moved to uh, basically D.C. to work at ASALT. And then um, I said, you know what, I should try something different. General Dierno, who is the chief of staff of the Army, uh, created this new think tank to directly work for him. Uh, and I ended up applying and, again, being very fortunate, got selected to be one of the five civilian fellows from the Army. Ah. And I ended up doing that for three years. So, again, one of the, you know, the most rewarding uh, experience uh, from a career perspective, from learning perspective, and being able to put myself out there doing something very different than acquisition or engineering or program management. Uh, and as a matter of fact, at the time, I looked at data analytics and people analytics. So, you know, more than a decade ago now, which at the time we weren't even talking about predictive analytics. Yeah. Uh, and then I ended up uh, going into cyber. So I spent uh, a few years at OSD. At the time, it was ATNL, then became RE, overseeing their cyber portfolio. And then I went to Cyber Command as their inaugural acquisition executive. Uh, and here yeah, I am. Here. So yep. that's. Uh... It's pretty cool. The first acquisition executive for Cyber Command now for CDAO. Uh, what this might seem silly for us, <laughs> but what what is an acquisition executive like? What is your what you know? What, what do you believe your responsibility is or as so, the person uh, in that role? No, no, not a silly question at all. Especially considering the world we live in, right? That actually comes up a lot because people have different understanding of what acquisition means, right? And I, I would also offer most people are so far removed from the acquisition executive, they may not even understand or realize. Right, right. Or what the role is yeah. or what the authorities are, right? So I used to joke, especially when I first went to Cyber Command, I was like, how 
awesome is it? Because not everybody has a job where literally it's written in law what your job is. So if you look at the law when Cyber Command was given acquisition authority, it spells out exactly what Cyber Command's acquisition authority is for. There's an entire formal implementation plan for what the acquisition executive mm-hmm. is responsible for, both in the law and that plan. Uh, so ultimately, the way I would describe it, right, and it's to, to make it simpler for everybody, is that you are overseeing and you're responsible for managing all of the capability development efforts, including all the way up into any formal programs that you're managing, et cetera, right? So it could be a rapid prototype that you're building on the fly, on the spot, uh, that's done, being done under your authority versus, you know, a major ACAT1 program that may have, you know, multiple, multiple users in across the department. Uh, and you are ultimately responsible for the, those capabilities being developed, delivered and being maintained and sustains and that the operational customer is getting what they need what they need and then part of that includes the procurement authority which is making right. sure that the contracts that are being awarded again to meet what the customer needs is do, is there a difference between the service acquisition executive and the component acquisition executive uh, so not really right it's really more about the scope so service acquisition authorities, obviously, you know, billions of dollars of budget we're talking about. Um, and I actually also had the same conversation, like, what is the difference between SAE and CAE, right? So the command and command, right, that's where the C kind of comes for. And then other government agencies have components. Mm-hmm. So they will be called like component acquisition executive. Um, Cyber Command, when it was first given acquisition authority, it had limited acquisition authority. It was basically uh, temporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we basically had... uh, $75 million uh, procurement ceiling. Um, There was actually very, very restrictive in terms of, um, because it was the second combatant command to be given acquisition authority after SOCOM, which had authorities for like, you know, several decades at that point. Uh, And I think there was a lot of concerns about giving a sub-unified command at the time acquisition authority, basically like a service-like Title 10 authority, and what could potentially go wrong when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot, you know, there was explicit instructions about, hey, you cannot use your acquisition authority to build an enduring uh, infrastructure or architecture uh, or a capability that is going to you're going to maintain more than five years. Um, but this was also a time when Cyber Command was not a fully unified command yet. Okay. And so there was a lot of concerns about what, you know, if I want to give you a service like authority, what could you do with it and what shouldn't you do with it? So you had different left and right guardrails? Many, yeah. right? Okay. And Cyber Command obviously is, you know, the leadership is dual-hatted as the director of NSA. So there were even restrictions in terms of the fact that you can't do any intel activities with your acquisition authority. That would require notifying like the HIPSI and SISI. Um, there were specific restrictions about the fact that Cyber Command could not execute the major critical cyber programs like UP, JCC2, PCT, et cetera, et cetera. So there was a lot of additional restrictions that were yeah. placed on it. But in my first year there as acquisition executive, because when I showed up there, Cyber Command had the authority for about three years already. But I was the first permanent acquisition executive walking in through the door, right? Mm. So. In a way, that's good was and bad. Was acting before that? There were several people acting, uh, you know, with different backgrounds. Uh, so when I walked in, I was like the first level three <laughs> program manager coming in. And now basically have to figure out how do we execute acquisition authority. Um, but again, we were very fortunate and worked with the staffers and, uh, and the building stakeholders to help them understand, look, when this authority was given, we were in a very different world, right? We didn't even talk about offensive cyber in public. 
it was mm. a secret you know, term. And now we are doing operations, we're publicly discussing it, and we're not going anywhere. This right. is a command that's here to stay. That acquisition authority needs to be made permanent. And, oh, by the way, in my first uh, six months, you know, halfway through the fiscal year when I showed up there, but as the fiscal year was ending, um, there was panic in the workforce, the, the, the procurement team, right, that we're about to reach our ceiling and we may break the law uh, because we may be awarding contracts that's going to go over $75 million. So not very conducive to mission. It's not very yeah. <laughs> conducive to mission at all. And the narrative was completely, I would say, upside down. The, the, the definition of success was have you awarded $75 million worth of contract? And I had to explain to folks that, hey, the metric of success is not have I awarded to my ceiling. My ceiling should be A, unlimited, because depending on the operational requirements, I may be awarding $150 million worth of award one year. To get capabilities. To get capabilities. The next year, I may only award... $70 $70 million because that's what I needed to do that year for my customers. So so lots of great conversation, lots of great support. And ultimately, uh, Congress gave us full acquisition authority, recognizing that, hey, you are not going to be mature enough to start doing ACAT 1 anytime soon. But so you recognize that you should have the full authority. So it's safe to say this isn't your first rodeo? <laughs> no, it is not. And actually, it's a lot of parallels with CDAO. We, right. Our acquisition authority has a lot of similar uh, li- limitations or um, guardrails. And what do you, I guess, do you see it as, as a similar path being this the CAE for us? Or do you see it as a, a like, similar but different enough that you need a different strategy? So um, I think it depends, right? In different places, in, in from a different um, aspect, you can say it's it's similar and other times it's not. And let me tell you, in some ways it's similar, right? So when Jake at the time, where we got our acquisition authority from, was given the authority, it was a $230 million organization, right? An operational kind of a uh, center. Um, and the language was nowhere near restrictive like Cyber Command's language was. Um, and the the only parallel was there is that, hey, you're going to get 10 people. You're going to do the same, again, component. The CAE will perform pretty much the same functions, but some of the restrictions that I talked about the Cyber Command had from Intel activities, oh, right. enduring infrastructure, none of those things yeah. apply to Jake. Um, that being said, I think where it there are similarities in terms of, hey, um, we have, in Cyber Command, when I showed up, like we were talking about, we had to, I had to quickly figure out that, you know, why aren't we delivering? Why aren't we being effective, right? And I realized that there was a lot of, in some organizations, we're doing research efforts and we're not really showing the outcome, right? How are these actually helping the operator? Uh, and then we had to figure out, okay, what are the programs, no kidding, need to be actually maintained, sustained, indoor, grown, et cetera, and kind of set up the program office to help do that. Um, in CDAO, the way I would kind of describe it is that I feel like we're a little bit... 10 years behind in the sense that Cyber Command was an 11-year-old organization when I showed up, right? So as a the, at the time, the newest combatant command, it had time to build an identity, grow itself into, hey, this is what our mission is. General Nakasini was just the commander like a year into his, you know, uh, his uh, tenure. So we were growing the command and bringing it credibility in terms of what it is delivering from, again, operational capabilities perspective, right? Um, whereas CDO is a brand new organization. Right. Um, we are coming up from a, you know, uh, deputies memo, IOC perspective, two years right. just in January. Right. But we were, we are nowhere near 
from a maturity perspective as were Cyber Command was, place, right? right? So from an organizational process, maturity, figuring out who we're going to be what, when we grow up, we are not there, right? Which is normal. It's it's not a bad thing. It's just that's what happens when you right. create a brand new organization. Um, Cyber Command had an operational arm right there. So we had the, you know, the typical service component unit, you know, uh, cyber service. Service cyber components, so the F cyber, fleet cybers, the R cybers, right? Um, even JFHQ Doden, right? And but we also had Cyber National Mission Force, which was a operational force. Now it's a sub unified command. At the time it wasn't, but it was at the headquarter, and so it was very easy to see who needs, who is your customer, and figure out, okay, how am I going to prioritize this customer? Mm. Where who I, who do I deliver the capabilities to? Right. In CDAO, many times, and you've heard me ask this question to the program manager: Who is your customer? the DOD, right? The deputy secretary, all of the combatant commands. So the challenge becomes when you talk about similarities, like, okay, how do you say who are, what are your priorities? Who is no kidding your primary customer? Right, because to deliver capability, yes. you have to know, you're saying customer, I would say end user. Right. You have to draw those lines very clearly right? because that's, th- right. that's how we know if we're being successful or not. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then understand what they need, right? Because every combatant command is not necessarily going to need the same thing. Right. Uh, and understanding that and then saying, okay, this is what I'm going to deliver for in the PACOM versus this is what actually UCOM needs, right? Or, again, you can apply different models to say, these are the three things I will do for all of the combatant commands, no mm-hmm. matter what they are. Yeah. That's probably a good segue into, okay, so you're in this new role and and you have a team like uh, myself and others are on the team trying to navigate this. Uh, how do we do acquisition differently to, right. and differently can mean a lot of things. We can streamline, we can make things go faster, lower barriers to entry, remove red tape, all the things. Uh, from your perspective, like what does adoption, whether that's AI, data, digital, uh, data analytics or digital, what does adoption, no kidding, like mean to you? Sure. Can I actually stretch that a little bit, right? Which is you're going after what our mission is as an organization right now, which is the accelerate, the scaling and the adoption of the data analytics AI capabilities, right? And I almost think the scaling comes first and then it's that adoption that kind of go hand in hand. And you've heard me say this, right? Which is from even the acquisition perspective, the things we are doing I don't want it to be just done in that be that pocket of excellence and we're doing these things, but it can be scaled across the board. And that mm-hmm. applies to things like trade wins, things like tri-AI, the kind of vehicles you guys have created, and now we're trying to pl- proliferate right, right. and partner with that. So from scaling and adoption now, the capabilities perspective, okay, no kidding, what are the capabilities CDA is going to build, right? And can they be then scaled so it's not just for a single end user, mm-hmm. Not that it's a bad thing, but again, is it? can it be used by more than one user? Can it be used by more than one combatant command? Can it be scaled across the department? And then adoption comes in saying, this is so good that everybody's either adopting that tool, that philosophy, that model, that yeah, capability. I, and I would offer that require, so there, that's almost a recognition. I'm willing to change my behavior and stop what I'm doing today right. and adopt this new capability right. because it offers value to my right. day-to-day operations or whatever. The right. I think right is. now, you know, when I go out, whether it's, you know, interacting with other senior leaders in different and even in the training in the cohort that was, we're talking to folks at the, the people who are actually executing, right? 
uh, there's a lot of hunger, a lot of like this desire to understand, hey, what can I do? Right. So it's almost like, yeah. have we told them, hey, these are the things that are ready for us adoption. Right. Right. And I think that is one of the things we have to figure out to say, hey, these are things that you can actually go out and use. They yeah. are ready for enterprise use. So the responsible AI thing we just awarded. Right. That was one of those examples. Like we have tried this capability out. You know, we demoed it. It's good. Now it's available. Yeah. And now it's ready for, you can say, scaling that we can help scale, but it's ready for adoption at the enterprise level, right. which means multiple services can use that if they want to. Right. The question is, what is the mechanism we're going to use so we can, I guess, explain to the department, this is something you can adopt. So on that note of uh, adoption or scaling, and we've talked about teaching people how to fish uh, with trade winds <laughs> in particular. Um, so we don't have to keep on fishing for them. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I know. Because you are I like the, the single fisherman right I know. now. I got the message. Woman. We, we will uh, proliferate and uh, create champions across the services. So how do people who are executing, um, like what, what would be tips or things you would offer to them in terms of, I'm in a seat, I'm supposed to be, or I, I want to be delivering capability, I'm executing. How can I be thinking of this either differently to kind of reach right. the, the state that we're so, talking about? So this is the basic things we were talking about, right? Hey, what is the first thing you think about, right? Um, as an organization, many times we are so focused on just experimenting or prototyping that we don't pause to think, if that prototype is wildly successful, what's my what's plan next? for that, yeah. right? So I always say, start with, again, what is your mission? And it doesn't have to be, as an organization, what's your mission? But as the program manager, as that project leader, what is it, no kidding, you are responsible for, right? Who's your customer? You said end user. Yeah. It could be, you know, multiple end users, single end user, doesn't matter. Who's your customer? But who's going to use it? Right. Like that, yeah. The and consumer, then what I've are their priorities, yeah. right? Because yeah. again, you can't do everything. I, I like to say you're not going to boil the ocean the first time, right, yeah. at least. So how are you going to prioritize? What is your scope, right? What, what, How are you going to draw this? This is the things we are no kidding going to do in the next 12 months. Uh, and this is what my three-year plan looks like. And then how are you going to get there? So a lot of the times I feel like the how is the thing that it's missing. There's a lot of we will go solve world hunger, but the steps for the basic steps, the basic planning is sometimes what is missing from the thought process, right? And then, of course, our favorite topic is <laughs> contracting, right? There's so much focus on the contracting piece when I have to keep on educating folks that, the contracting will happen. Yeah. We have qualified, I mean, I, I mean, almost every organization has qualified contracting officers. It's not some maybe more risk averse than others, but it's not the mechanism of the contracting vehicle that's the problem. Sure, many For times delivery, the recompete right? takes a while, right? Depending right. on the complexity of the pro contract, the scope of the contract. But many times I would tell you it comes down to back the fact that we can't explain or define the problem well. So the contracting effort takes longer because it takes months for the user to come and say, this is what I really need, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, the focus back to should be, hey, what is the problem you're trying to solve, mm. right? How, how do you want to solve it? Because then it's very easy for you, Quentin and the team to come and say, 
these are like the three ways we can solve this problem. And these are the pros and cons of this approach. These are the pros and cons of that approach. And then the program manager can make the decision saying, okay, I'm going to go with this approach, right? Yeah. But many times those basic steps haven't been taken or thought through because people are so focused on just going out and start executing. Mm. So with that in mind, I, I think we're talking about uh, forward thinking. Yes. Uh, beyond like, yeah, yes, we can create easy entry points, initiate piloting. I know our organization is promoting experimentation, like being empowered to experiment. Uh, to And then I think where someone in your role right. has to think, someone in the room has to be thinking, okay, Love experimentation, um, even trade wins, big experiment. What are we going to do next right. if it's successful? Because that, that those are the, the pivotal moments, I think, for the department to actually move the needle in the right direction. So how does it go from uh, maybe a small scale thing to like, no kidding, we've got thousands of users doing a, using a tool as an example. So where where would you like to see... I was going to say improvement, but where more, where do you see opportunity? Maybe that's a better way of asking to get to that, driving that momentum toward we have more forward thinking or better, uh, cause even I would offer, uh, plans can change. Like you can, you can have a plan and then something happens in the experiment. You're like, it does not, not have to be happen. set in stone. First of all, yeah. I have never met a plan that is actually going to stay static. Right? right. It's just about the fact that you're going to, you're thinking about it. Right. You are planning something, recognizing that you have to be ready to pivot, ready to shift, depending on what happens. Maybe you get a, I don't know, $30 million funding cut. Maybe all of a sudden you have a new requirement that mm -hmm. is a much higher priority than what you had planned for. But a good program manager can adjust and go from there, right? Do you think the, uh, I'll say the more conventional acquisition process is prepared for that type of um, modularity? I don't know if it's a good <laughs> word, but uh, to, to handle or embrace the art of the pivot? So... So a couple of things, right? So one, uh, and maybe I'll give an example of how I approached acquisition at the command and how you can kind of kind of see a bit of a parallel there in terms of how do we do it here, right? Um, so software acquisition pathway, we, people talk about a lot right now, right? But this is not necessarily because DOD finally formalized the framework for software acquisition, right? Um, for us, it's a recognition that more and more the world is going to be digital, right? Uh, I used to say that when I got to the command, hey, we're not building a tank here. That's going to take 10 years to build and then field, and then we're going to keep it out in the field for 50 years, right. right? So it's the opposite of what we're trying to do. Recognizing that there's going to be a spectrum of what it means to do acquisition, right? So we had a, um, we had at the time it was an app applied research division, and I said, okay, we're not doing any research in the combatant command. We're trying to make sure we actually build tools and operationalize it very quickly. So we quickly pivoted that organization to become rapid development and innovation organization, right? And that organization was focused on really three main functions. One was to go out and quickly deliver, discover capabilities, excuse me. So it would go out and see what cool technologies or Mm -hmm. software is out there that yeah. we can bring in. We may further prototype it, mature it, so we can operationalize it. We had internal in-house, right, software developers who were developing, no kidding, right, actually developing the tools. It could be new, ours. New tools? New oh. tools, yes. Oh. Hmm. New tools. Um, so again, a lot of it obviously is industry partners that we brought into the team. We had folks from uh, um, JDAs, from like NSAs and organizations like that. So, but lots of great talent who is no kidding, hands-on, building the tool right there. We had the lab, right? We had that, that environment that allowed 
prototyping and like continuous development, yeah. the entire DevSecOps pipeline. Dare I say CICD pipeline? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. We had the, and not only that, right? So you're trying out new things. You are building new things. You are testing those things. And then you're, you're validating hardening. them. You're probably hardening it. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. And then guess what? I, I, as the J9, had to sign off on it that it is ready for operational use, right? We have assessed that because we also had to make sure that we are compliant with the DOT&E mm -hmm. rules from when you're operationalizing a cyber capability, right? A right. cyber weapons or effects. Uh, so we did all that in that environment, in that DevSecOps environment, in a combatant command, in a DOD organization, right? One use of acquisition authority. And then we had the other part of it, which is that program office, right? That what you would call a maybe a conventional program office. Right. But even that conventional program office was like, again, we're not building that tank, right? But recognizing that, hey, we have these major software acquisition cyber programs that are being built by the Air Force, by the Army, and how does the command make sure, because these those programs were all awarded, created at different times, so that integration from a joint perspective, nobody was doing that. So we recognize that's something that the command has to step up and do. Again, an acquisition function, but nobody was, was doing that from a joint integration perspective. So knowing that it was our role because, hey, we're the one, no kidding, validating, establishing and validating our requirement, again, very unique authority that most other combatant commands do not have, right? So COM and Cyber Command are the only ones that can have that. Oh, now we have acquisition authority. So we have the two, like it's of yeah. the tool, right? Uh, and then we went and made sure working with the department and the Congress that we also get our budget authority, right? So because now finally the command is empowered to do all three of its things, right? So now we can actually say, okay, this is what my operational requirements are. I validated it. I prioritized it. And then, hey, are the programs adjusting rapidly, quickly to those requirements, right? Yeah. Um, very much in an incremental fashion. We were, you know, uh, we were delivering capabilities in a three-month fashion, depending on which programs you're talking mm -hmm. about. Yep. Um, and then the roadmaps were being adjusted. So, again, you're not building this plan that's going to be stale for the, you know, stay stat statics for the next five years, and you're building against that. Uh, and then, at the same time, setting up quick program offices and bringing in augmentees from other offices to recognize, hey, you know, we have this sensors piece, we have tools piece, and it's all fragmented across the place. So how do we do that, right? So I think there is a room for that model in CDAO and recognize, okay, what are my no kidding, those big programs? Mm -hmm. And do I set up a program office for that? Right. And how does that happen, right? Because the way I see it, and I may be biased, right, but I came from a combatant command, right? I served operational users pretty much most of my career as a program manager. If you're going to build a capability, you have to be responsible for maintaining and sustaining it, right? So we can't just do cool stuff and not think about all the boring things that go along with it, mm. all that boring basic planning, right? Yeah. And then if you don't think we can do that, right, if we don't think we have the capacity to do that as a PSA, uh, and OSD staff, then we need to figure out who's going to be our partner who can do that for us, who has the right talent, the right capacity, and the willingness, mm -hmm. right, to be that partner. Yeah. I'm curious at Cyber Command, uh, in in the midst of, I'm going to say the, the, an Agile, the Agile framework or construct that you just described, was there a lot of uh, tolerance or room for things to for uncertainty, I, I guess uh, I'm, try I'm trying to think through what I'm uh, what I'm trying to ask. Where a lot of times you can start things and you don't know where it's going to go. 
uh, whether it's capability development and you want to, you have an idea, uh, we call this ideation operations, right? You have an idea and you're like, right. I don't know if it's going to work. Right. So it was there a lot of, uh, were people encouraged to do something, even though they didn't know if it was going to work or not. And did that construct kind of allow for those things to go through the pipeline? So, so it's interesting you say that. So first of all, there was a lot of, I would say, worry or concern about acquisition executive coming in and providing oversight, right? So on one hand, I walked into an environment, and I think I gave you this example before, which is the CNMF, CNMF commander comes to me and said, hey, Shruti, I don't know how to buy a pencil, right? And it was really a metaphor saying, I don't know how to get a capability. And I am trying to fight ops every day. And I'm in this command because He's not the R cyber commander who can go to his service right. acquisition organization. You know, uh, so the, the component had the ability to go fall back on their service acquisition uh, units. But so he did not. So it was my job as the J9 to do that for him. Uh, but at the same time, there was a lot of concern that, oh, my God, too much oversight and we're not going to be able to stay agile and going to be able to do what we need to do. So we were able to quickly address that by making sure that the rapid development uh, or, you know, innovation team that we talked about was fully integrated and aligned with that CNMF, right? Which, what it means that I set the left and right boundaries. These are your resources. This is your capacity, right? Go sit with that, you know, go like do. Go, go do things, okay. right? Because they had the CNMF requirements, right? Their operational priorities, depending on the day, depending on the week, depending on whatever crisis is happening, changed, right? And that, that hmm. development team, was pretty much taking direction from that operational commander and their leadership, working as a team saying, okay, what is it that you need, right? So you could be working on 10 different capabilities on week one, and next week it could be 15, it could be five different ones, or your priority may have shifted, right? What it meant was, again, you're providing a very much real-time agile capabilities, but at the same time, I was able to keep, you know, I would get the update, hey, how are things going? Oh, you know, this is an issue. Or we need some more help here, et cetera. And then I would make sure every two weeks or so I would sync up with the commander. Like, hey, how are things going? Do you have an issue? Can we provide more support here or not, right? Mm -hmm. So it, we created very much this synchronized way to operate because before we had the same talent, but people were not focused operationally that way, right? So there were things that were doing that were like, somebody's good idea fairy, right? As I like to say it, somebody's science project, but there was no actual operational customer that said, I actually want this. Mm -hmm. Or somebody may have wanted it two years before they so left. How did they get the resourcing like uh, to do Because the, that, the, re say, that resource was still there, but the right direction and the leadership guidance wasn't there, mm -hmm. right? So we had the tool developers and somebody's like, oh yeah, let's work on uh, that, see, right? Versus like, does, did CNMF commander ask for that? Is this mm -hmm. one of their priority from one to 10, right? So that kind of thinking was not integrated from an organizational process perspective. So back to like the basics. Some of it is not because you don't have the capacity. Some of it is because do you, are you using your capacity the right way as you should? Yeah. Uh, there, maybe a criticism on the conventional acquisition processes. Maybe like I, I wish it had more a closer DevOps loop that right. you're describing right? Um, so that we probably have more assurance that the requirements are actually solving those end user right. problems. Um, that, that's an, an area where I hope we can bridge a gap. Right. Just in general, like that's not. No, no. And, and you know, here, to but me, but that was the metric of success, right? So by the time I left the command as, you know, after close to three years, my sync with the CNMF commander was like, 
how are things going, right? Yeah. Because we are so closely integrated and synchronized. Like I would know already what the issue was and we would have probably already solved it. Yeah. Or he would have already known to let me know instead of waiting for my sink to elevate an issue, right? right? right we right. made sure we had a liaison in place, right? I mean, we we also had a PM, by the way, right? We had a PM dedicated to that organization. So the people who are doing that that capability, they are not bogged down by that program manager responsibility. Somebody's helping manage that resources. So again, we put some that rigor and discipline in place, but let the team do the work they needed to do. So what would you offer to others who are maybe trying to create something close to or something that's a little bit, uh, maybe a little customized to their mission set? Right. Um, how can they get closer to this, uh, this place where we are more integrated with the end users, and we are delivering things at scale, at speed, all the things. Right. Um, So it's going to sound probably, but it's that simple thing like, first of all, do they know what they're responsible for? Right? When I walked into J9, not everybody knew what they're actually responsible for, what they should be doing. If we had the wrong understanding of what the definition of acquisition, delivery, and success is, then guess what? The people working in that organization are not going to be focused on the right thing, right? right? So as the leader, I think the first thing you say, okay, no kidding, these are the things we're responsible for. This is, once you step with that back to your mission, right? Then you can say, okay, based on your responsibility, these are the things you're going to be focusing on. These are the things you'll be delivering. Based on your responsibilities, these are the things you'll be doing, right? So using that RDI example, RDI no longer were deciding what they should be doing right? So it wasn't like the data scientist saying, you know, I want to go work on this cool analytics project. Because if you want to do that, let's go to the DARPAs of the world or the labs that we have, right? Here, you're doing things because that's an operational, no kidding operational requirement. So you are responding to that. Um, And then making sure that we are providing the support they need to build that capability they need to do. So I think right now, in many ways, people don't fully understand what they are actually responsible for delivering, and they might think they're responsible for all of it, right? So clearly separating who's responsible for requirement generation, who's responsible, how do you prioritize those? And it, I know requirement sometimes has this big, you know, There's a negative baggage. connotation, There's right, baggage. baggage. Yeah. Um, but the way I, the, the organization I'm describing, it was in the big R's, right? It, it was not a yeah. JROC approved requirements that I'm looking for at all. I didn't even look for a written little R, right? Yeah. Forget that. We have to go against, you know, go into country X to do Y. We're going to go build that tool for you, right? Or give you the capability you need. Um, so it's, so I say the word requirement not to say, where's my JROC validated memo? No, it's more like, do you actually, no kidding, understand what the operational user needs? So I think people will, again, use that requirement as a bad word. In the meantime, not really be able to articulate what is the problem they're trying to solve. Mm. So so back to the simple. Do you know what you're going to solve? Back to basics. How are you going to solve it? Yeah. Who is going to solve it for you? Do you have the capacity? If not, right? So if you don't have those things figured out, it's really easy to fail. Right. What? Where would you like to see... I'll be specific to our organization, CDO acquisitions be in five years from now. Like where, um, yeah, I'll just stop there. (laughs) I feel like that's a loaded question. No more loaded questions. This is the last loaded question. Um, So I've said this to, you know, no matter which leadership I'm in, right? Hey, the acquisition organization is the enabler and we can do, we can design the end state for you depending on what the organization 
leadership, you know, focus is and their vision is. Based on where we are and tying it back to the fact that we are a brand new organization, not the 11-year-old combatant command that just got, you know, fully unified combatant command responsibility. Right. Uh, we are still kind of figuring out who we are as an organization, what, who we're going to be as a five-year organization, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if I had to make a decision today, I would say, decide, are we really going to be, no kidding, own some of the capabilities like A to Z? Right. Hey, no kidding. This is one thing that is our biggest priority. And we want to be like in charge of that. Right. We will dictate the execution of it. We will shape it, guide it. Maybe we'll partner with somebody else because we're not going to have the capacity. Right. Back to even as J9, I had very limited uh, billets. Right. So I had to go out and partner with others, whether it's a service as an executive agent, mm-hmm. whether it's another organization in a component to say, hey, can you come do this for us? Right. Detailees, et cetera. Uh, so I think we need to figure out, are we going to, no kidding, own some programs and do them internally? Or are we going to focusing on, hey, we're going to kind of give you guidance and this is what we want to do. We're going to say what the requirements are from data and AI analytics perspective, but have somebody else build those capabilities. And I think depending on which way we go, right, no kidding, we want to do this. We can then start looking at structuring some program offices. And again, we don't have to set up a PEO or a huge program offices, but to do those things right, that you're going to provide a set of capabilities to all the combatant commands, it will require putting mm-hmm. some substantial you know, capacity and resourcing behind that. And it's not going to come from CDA right now, right? So we will have to go out and find those right partners to do that. So five years from now, hopefully... Some of the hard work that, you know, a lot of talented people in CDO have been doing, hopefully the acquisition team will be able to help them kind of work with some of the other acquisition partners in the services to integrate, to integrate and pull that team together so we can show some meaningful capabilities that are operationally actually relevant. That's fair. All right. Last question. Okay. Um, I'm, th- this will be interesting because uh, we, I mean, we haven't had a conversation like this and um we're, I think this is, I, I just think this will be interesting. Um, what does being a defense maverick meet to, mean to you? Because, uh, even though, uh, based on what you just said, like that, that, that is a very, that, that is the logical next step for any growing organization. Like we, you know, we did, I, a lot of people like to say we were a startup and we were doing some things we were forming, storming and all the things. Uh, and then you, ha- you have to start taking steps to either create structure where, uh, and, and I don't like the word structure, you know that, but like, you, th- like it has to exist in order for things to grow right. and to scale. However, I think there is a spirit of, um, we are trying to break cultural norms and doing, we want, we want to be a pathfinder. And when I say we, not just acquisition, like trade wins, but I think CDAO in general is trying to be a pathfinder for this AI thing. And it'll probably be merging technologies in general as that continues to evolve. So I think there is a spirit within our culture where we are trying to kind of be a maverick in the department and be like, yeah, we're going to, um, create some glide paths that we're going to enable and we're going to help uh, provide guidance and whatnot. So if from your perspective, and I know I'm kind of putting you in the hot seat, uh, what what, do you, what does that mean to you? So it's um, so actually the first thing I think of when you said that is back to my when I was a SSG fellow, and we used to have a lot of industry 
very, very senior leaders come in and talk to us about how to do things differently, how to mm-hmm. be innovative, right? Uh, and that word maverick stayed with me because somebody from GE actually came and talked to us about the role of a maverick, right? Mm. And I would say, right, again, I'm a career civilian, uh, and I would say being a maverick in the department is really, really hard. And I think you know that, right, just as well as I do. Um, And you are challenging status quo. You're asking the hard question. You are no kidding, speaking truth to the power and taking a lot of risk by saying that and doing that. And then hopefully not getting, you know, burnt in the process because you've done that. Right. Um, We used to say that, hey, you know, our program managers are not taking risks. Right. Uh, And I would say, well, is the framework there that allows them to take the risk? And when they take the risk, do they get rewarded, right? When's the last time a program manager felt comfortable coming and saying, you know, uh, what we are building is not working, right? I recommend this is a waste of money. You know, the requirement creep is so much. We're never going to get there. Either we pivot or do something. That's not the culture we created. So I think... You've, you know, Jake, the work you guys have done, clearly you could, I think, fit it under, hey, we have become a maverick in the way just push the boundaries. But even then, right, we've talked about this, that you haven't, you, your first thing you've said, right, which is like, you don't have to go out and create new laws. You don't have to go out and look for a new statute or new FAR and DFAR. Like, you don't have to break that. You don't have to, you know, create new ones. You have room within that for you to innovate, for you to be a maverick. And I think a lot of times the people are not thinking that way mm. because, and I say this, that if somebody's grown up in a system for 10 years, 20 years, and that is not what we have conditioned them to do or think that way, it is really unfair for them to, for you to all of a sudden say, I really want you to be a maverick yeah. and think outside of the box, right? And do things differently. I call that the, uh, in, or so actually somebody else said this, but it stuck with me, right. uh, the institutional incentives. So yes. and, there is no incentive. So that yeah. is exactly, so at SSG, we had that conversation because I would be like, hey, General Arena brought us in here for a year, right? I, I was there as the only fellow that for three years, but the military fellows would come in for a year. And you're asking them to come in and say, break the system, yeah. right? Tell me how I should redo trade, redesign trade talk. This person is going to go back right out to the big army a year after the fellowship. Yeah. How can you expect them to really do that without any fear of, you know, reprimand or repercussion and all that? Oh, by the way, not every major or even an 06 is going to feel very comfortable telling the highest four star in the army, this is broken. Right. Right. Because the culture has not been created to allow that. It doesn't mean people didn't do it, but those were rarer. Right. So so I feel sometimes it's the personality Mm -hmm. because there are the bodies of the world, even though they're all in the same (laughs) same environment. They're going to do things differently. They're going to push back and try to think differently. But you have to actually change the culture and framework back to the basics to for you to have more mavericks, because if you don't allow them to actually operate that way and then say, it's okay for you to push back. It's okay for you to say, question what I'm saying. Um, It's easier for us to go out and say, we just need more innovation and more mavericks, but we're actually not creating the condition for that. Right. This was super fun. Thank you so much. Anything, any last words or... (laughs) 
Uh, I am just heart? so proud to have you on the team. And it's uh, really awesome to be here this, you know, especially this week with you and the team and then be on your hot seat. So, you know, hopefully I was You're able to. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me. Of course.